Welcome to the Side Action Podcast, the sports gambling show that covers everything in the world of sports betting from A through Z. We'll cover the four major sports as well as anything and everything in between worth some action and will increase the size of your bankroll. And here we go. Welcome to the Side Action, episode 67. This is Jim Weglars, a.k.a. Weggs. You can follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and Instagram. And this is Steve Roberts, a.k.a. Action. You can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. Follow the podcast at Side Action Pod on Twitter. So, Action, how was, how was Crested Butte? That's a beautiful part of the country. Oh, it was an awesome time. Got in a good amount of snow skiing and some mountainside drinking. And uh, hung out with the college buddies for a few days, so it was a nice getaway. And now I'm back to reality. So, <laughs> how about you? Uh, how was the weekend? I had a good weekend, as I recounted before the pod, uh, the pre-pod. I was didn't spare the bars out here. I had a pretty big weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Visited our favorite, you know, podcast bar, being the Four Shadows which is going to be the host of the Final Four party again this year. Actually. Ah, nice. Um, so pretty excited about that. Rob's birthday was, I guess, around Saturday, so we had an 80s party. I busted out my Miami Vice garb. Yes, you'd say, Weggs, why do you have Miami Vice garb? Well, <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, my buddy Ulrich had an 80s-themed Christmas party, so I still had the outfit, so I might as well slip into it. It's very comfortable, very comfortable. Nice. Um, and then, um, you know, we failed to mention the the heavyweight fight on Saturday in last week's episode. Sorry, America. But uh, watch that fight. They had it at the bar, and um, they won some money on the Gypsy King. Nice. Well, I, I didn't mention it earlier, but I ended up on Wilder, so mm-hmm. I wish I had forgotten about the fight altogether. <laughs> yeah, but... you know, it's fun. Most people did, and I'll tell you why I had the inkling. Uh, two reasons. One, because actually uh, I met Christina Ridgeway at the at the bar with her buddy Kardish. And so Kardish was like all on Wilder too. And he kept asking me and I'm like, well, I think I'm on Fury. And, and, and I had heard some reports on VEASAN, one of them that when they fought last year, obviously Wilder knocked him down twice. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the controversial part. Yeah. He probably should have won the fight. But Fury hadn't fought for two and a half years before that. That's what I heard. And so it was kind of like he's had some tune-up fights this time. He's actually practiced. So I that was I was on that side, plus, you know, obviously plus money. And the last thing was like I actually heard this before the fight, that he out-hit Wilder in the first fight. Like he actually yeah. got more punches in. So it was kind of like, okay, the chances of Wilder, he already knocked him down twice, didn't knock the dude out. You know Fury's like 6'9 or something. Mm-hmm. Um I thought the chances of him, at least as a plus underdog, to go the distance was pretty good. And I wish I would have bet on him to do the knockout, because I'm sure that was even bigger money. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then when we watched the fight, because I, I, you know, I don't pay attention to boxing at all. I mean, um, did you watch the fight at all? Yeah, we ordered it on Saturday night. It was entertaining. Oh, it was a great fight. But it was just, you know, Gypsy King comes out in the crazy, getting carried out there, and the other guy coming in is like... I don't know what he was wearing, but when I saw Wilder's legs, the guy has chicken legs, dude. I mean, the yeah. guy has like sticks. And then he later complains about, oh, the 
My costume was heavy. I got tired. I'm like, why don't you do a friggin' calf raise, dude? I mean, I saw those legs. I said, your your upper body's incredible, but dude, obviously, I can't believe a boxer has legs like that. So hmm. I felt really good about that even after the first round when he, he got a couple shots in. But Fury was on the attack the whole fight and just dominated. It's pretty wow. awesome. Pretty good handicap there, looking at the fighter's yeah. legs. <laughs> Maybe next time if they uh, go for a third fight, he'll forego the costume, so he'll be ready for action. Right, exactly. He'll be ready to go. But anyway, so yeah, well, let's get back to the episode here. Uh-huh. But uh, we'll just go over the outline here. We'll cover the golf that uh, action was all over last week. And then we're going to have a, a great guest in Jason Colatrulio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then we'll do our NCAA hoops. So he's going to lead us into that. And then lastly, of course, our power rankings and our games of interest in college basketball. So a nice episode getting us ready for March. Literally be the last one before March begins, March Madness. So pretty excited. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're getting down to the crunch time of the season. So lots of information to pour through. And really the lines are a lot tighter than they are earlier on in the year. I think it's at least for me personally, it's a little bit tougher to find winners in this market where the odds makers have so much more information, much like us betters do. That's true. Very true. Well, let's start off with the uh, WGC event in Mexico. It looks like you had two winners this weekend that you gave us last week. Thanks, Action. Yeah, it uh, was a pretty profitable golf weekend for me. Patrick Reed ended up winning the tournament at 18 under. Captain America. Over Bryson DeChambeau finished second. And uh, one of our picks, John Rahm, actually slid into third place at minus 15 under. Am I reading that correctly? Yep. And that was well ahead of his opponent in the matchup, uh, Dustin Johnson. I think he was way down at the bottom. I was following him throughout the weekend, and I don't even know if he finished in the top 30. So Mm. another rough outing for Dustin Johnson over the weekend. Mm. Well, that's good news for us and John Rombackers for the majors. I think that he definitely is one of those guys we talked about last week could be primed for, you know, maybe not the green jacket, maybe the green jacket, but definitely one of the majors this year. He's a really good player. Um, So your answer guy also cashed over Snedeker. How did he fare? Yeah, Abraham Answer had a pretty good tournament too. Finished at nine under, which was good for 12th. And that was um, about four strokes. Yeah, Snedeker, five under tied for 22nd so pretty comfortable margin in that matchup as well and the handicap really came through with answer the mexican shooting well there was another mexican that finished in the top 20 carlos ortiz at seven under mm. so looks like that tournament uh, lines up well for those players to play better on their home turf so that's something you can keep in mind for next year no question no question well nice work on cashing in golf we'll talk a little bit more i guess you know early april for the masters or something mm-hmm so the next segment here is really exciting we've got our guest who's been on twice already uh jason colatrulio he's former mr halftime bets definitely an expert in daily fantasy and also uh college hoops so we're really excited to have him all right cola well thanks again for joining us this is uh exciting and you're our regular guest on the program so i know america wants to hear from you again so uh let's start off with fantasy football how did it go this year how was your season yeah so i had a, a pretty good season this year i'm in a handful of leagues i'm in uh, i think eight leagues where i'm regularly setting lineups doing drafts and things like that so uh, eight season long leagues 
Um, my mm. biggest one would be the the main event uh, that I drafted in this last year. It was my first time playing in the, the main event. I actually, uh, for FFPC, um, mm -hmm. I won a uh, satellite the previous year, and I did uh, very well. So I lost my first game and then went on a 10-game winning streak um, to actually regular season title. Um, you will not be surprised to know that I got Lamar Jackson. Um, so that oh. was the <laughs> last time that I was on. And I also paired that with Mark Andrews. So uh, it mm. was a season. Uh, that's a, a tight end premium league. So, um, oh. you know, finding a round tight end uh, that can really produce, you know, was, was really instrumental in me uh, winning that league. Had a great league there. And then actually one that I uh, was pretty excited about was a satellite draft for another main event league where uh, I was actually had the league with my dad and uh, mm. going into the championship game, we were up four and a half points with no one else. Mm. And the other team had uh, the running back out of the Vikings, uh, Mike Boone. And so four and a half points oh, in the PPR, you're pretty much dead in the water. And mm. he got 4.3 points. So we had a Christmas oh. miracle. And uh, me and my dad are going to be going to Las Vegas to draft in person uh, this coming September. So That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, where will the draft be? Do you know where they're going to hold? Yeah, it's going to be at Planet Hollywood. Uh, okay. I think FFPC has been holding their drafts there for about three or four years now. It's their 10th year in, in Vegas doing live drafts. Wow. That's, that's awesome, man. Really cool. I actually had Mike Boone in the league myself and lost. So <laughs> there are two sides to that story. <laughs> so and that, we really earned this one too because we had the most fab going into the championship game and we decided to get Brashad Perriman and uh, started him. He had a pretty good game, but we intentionally left Mike Boone out there. I didn't know he was going to do that, but yeah, we were watching. <laughs> he scored zero points in the second half. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, sweat, yeah, exactly. It was better. He didn't fumble, you know. He <laughs> didn't knock you back the two points. So right, yeah, exactly. So any intriguing off-season uh, moves or players that you've been eyeballing or news that's kind of surprised you in the fantasy football world? You know, I don't think that there's a ton. I think that specifically, you know, so right now I'm I'm gearing up uh, for dynasty, keeping track of the rookies, and I feel like predictably. Right now, everyone's cooling on this class and starting to say, well, next, you know, let's look at next year's class. I feel like that happens every single year. Right. You know, we get really excited about a class. We, for some reason, decide that everybody who we think is really good is going to join this class. And then you got, uh, you know, guys that decide to stay. And then it kind of puts a wet blanket on that class. And then everyone starts looking at next year, kind of doing the same thing where they're trying to expect that everyone is going to come out and, and it, it's just kind of like this game that, that we play the same thing will happen you know the with the combine which is going to happen today this, this weekend yeah i know exactly we, we already have uh, 40 yard dashes um, but then people won't do as good and then they'll start you know this is the same thing that happened to dalvin cook he's going to be the 101 in dynasty draft and then he doesn't mm -hmm. run as well you know dk metcalf the guy just looks like a freak he looks like a greek god <laughs> he can't run laterally so then we decide that he's not the thing and then right the guys get pads on, and then you realize that these guys are really good still. You know, mm -hmm. they did what they were supposed to do in Indianapolis. So. But to answer your question, I don't know if there's anyone specific that, you know, has really, really jumped out at me. I really tried to not make decisions or, or get set in one camp this early. Um, and I try mm -hmm. to really do that until the, uh, you know, the later part of draft season. So I won't even look at ADP even leading up. Um, I actually don't look at ADP until I've come up with at least my first four rounds, who I sure. think should be there. Um, and then after the fourth round, I'll just draft whoever I want. I don't really care about ADP at all then. Mm -hmm. It was funny because I think last season, the rookie class of receivers 
that it, there wasn't a lot of acclaim. I mean, you had you had Metcalf and you had Brown, the guy we played with, and Hollywood Brown and stuff. But those guys weren't at the top of the draft, you know. But they all had pretty good seasons, you know. I mean, for rookies and as wide receivers, they performed pretty well. Um, yeah. This season, Terry McLaurin was pretty incredible. I mean, oh, if he, had he a was. Career, he was. He was great. Um, and Debo Samuel too, like especially the way that they're doing gadget plays with him, mm-hmm. and the way that he like just attacks people when when he's running. He looks like, you know, the wide receiver version of Kittle. Um, You're right. I mean, those guys had great seasons, but this class supposedly is really good, meaning the wide receiver class. So, it's interesting if they will actually perform as well as the the team did last, the guys did last year that were not as highly touted. So it's you're right. The draft process is very interesting and in how people get pushed up the board and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in the end, you got to find those running backs, you know, the Raheem Mostert's or somebody off the waivers anyway that nobody even heard of, you know, the year before. So I, it, like you're saying, like it's that ebb and flow because the year that uh, we had a whole bunch of first round receivers, everyone got really excited about Mike Williams and Corey Davis and mm-hmm. John Ross. And, you know, those are like basically bust, bust, bust. Um, <laughs> I mean, they were top 15 picks. Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see where the running backs land. Because um, mm-hmm. there are some, some there that are really, really interesting. Even that, you know, people are, for the longest time, were saying Swift was the best running back. And now you've got people that want to you know, really throw a lot of shade at him. I mean, it's mm-hmm. tough. There's a lot of a lot of good running backs there. Yeah. One other question will go on football. Do you, how closely do you look at, coaching changes in terms of you know your fantasy selections yeah I'll, I'll definitely try to tell myself a story of what i think that coaching change actually means i'll keep track of it i will tell you right now i haven't done that this upcoming year um right but yeah i'm definitely trying to just kind of come up i because i try to go into draft thinking like this is what i think is going to happen and then i'm going to try to draft to that strength so i won't just try to bring like you know a middling spot with all my drafts i'll probably take a hard stance on each team and each player and then just draft like that and and usually i'm i'm finding myself in a a place where i'm i don't know if i'm more right than i'm wrong but i'm having winning teams so i'm you know having successful years because that's the thing is if you don't win a a league you can do nine leagues like i do and if you don't Mm -hmm. win at least them, then you're not gonna be successful on that You yeah, have to get a couple true. wins. You, you can't just have no wins uh, and then have a, a successful year. That's right. Don't want to throw your money away, right? Um, okay, we're going to transition into hoops now, NCAA hoops. So yeah. what matchups are you looking forward to You know, this weekend and then as we head down the stretch? This weekend, I'd say that the game that I'm most interested in uh, that will really kind of inform me about um, these two teams, two teams I've kind of had my eye on is the uh, Auburn-Kentucky game. I'm really, really interested in uh, both of these teams. I think that they both could make some noise. I was, you know, I'm a little surprised to see them both a little bit further down on uh, Ken Palm at this point. But I think that, you know, if Auburn can go in, they don't necessarily have to win for me, you know, to prove to me that they can hang with Kentucky. But I want to see them there. I want to see them there at the end of the game. I want to see them hanging with Kentucky on the road. And if they can do that, then, you know, I think it'll solidify me that, that they're for real. I don't know that I... How for real I'm saying, but I just feel like that's the mm-hmm. game this weekend where I'm going to get the most out of seeing how they can react on the road. Yeah, interesting. Uh, sure. Wags and I had this one on our list to talk about later. Mm-hmm. It looks like Ken Palm is projecting Kentucky to be a five-point victory. Would you think that's 
a pretty good prediction. Cola, what do you think of this Auburn team? So for the Auburn team, it, they've, they've had kind of a strange year, one of the last undefeated teams, and then you had a pair of away losses, um, you know, starting in mid-January and then another one in mid-February. The first set of losses, it's they had gone without uh, losing a game into into January, which is very difficult to do. It just feel it felt like something that just kind of happened. They, they got, you know, smacked, lost by 20 points to add Alabama and Florida. Um, then they kind of righted it a little bit and had a stretch where they played five games in a row where they had five overtime periods in those five yeah. games and then played Kentucky two in there. So, it, you know, they had a pretty brutal stretch and then they lost two more again. So um, you don't know if that, that stretch there where they played all those overtime games and, and you know, had an emotional game against Kentucky, including the LSU game, which is one of the most incredible Outside of the Duke-North Carolina game, that game was the most incredible game I've seen, seen this year. So they had some pretty intense games, some, some games where they had to make comebacks. And then, you know, they have – they lay two eggs again on the road in Missouri and Georgia. So I think that they're the type of team that can figure it out. I don't like when they get in close games and, and they're really poor at foul shooting and they're really poor at three-point shooting. So it, it's kind of like one of these things that, you know, they have to beat the drum in the, on the inside. They have to um, – you know, they can't really get behind because they can't come back much with three-point shooting. And in close games, they're always going to be susceptible to, to you know, missing foul shots. Mm-hmm. And on, on the Kentucky side, Kentucky's a, another team you kind of uh, had prefaced me to kind of think of some teams that I thought, you know, could mm-hmm. make a run, a deep run. And I, I, Kentucky's interesting because they're one, since they're a blue blood, they're a team that we always, you know, figure will be there in March. And, you know, when you think about their last couple of years, you think of them as being – not great years because they haven't gone to the final four um mm-hmm. and they haven't the final four since they had that you know the dominant team that was undefeated i think that was in 2015 um right with uh with towns and you know but mm-hmm. if you look at them they're kind of like that that team that's been knocking on the door the last couple of years um mm-hmm. last year they lost to auburn in overtime in the elite eight um, yeah it was a great game mm-hmm. yeah which is a great game and so they're they're right there and in 2017, they lost again in the Elite Eight um, mm-hmm. to North, the eventual champion. Um, you know, and, and those kind of teams, I know that that uh, Kentucky you know turns over a lot, but those kind of teams that you know feel like they're kind of on the cusp um, are the teams a lot of times that I'm looking for and, and interested in. And I like the way that they're set up in that they don't rely on the three-point ball. They actually are one of the style-wise one of the teams that least relies on the three-point shot. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they get to the line a lot. They actually are 16th in the nation in free throws per attempt and then fourth in the nation in free throw shooting. So, again, when you can put so much of your points in the bank right off the bat from the foul line, um, it, you leave yourself with a lot of room. You know, these these teams that uh, let lesser teams stick around, it's usually because they're, they're not converting from the free throw line. So I do feel like Kentucky is kind of set up to just kind of beat down a team and, uh, you know, win games. I know that they've lost uh, a handful. You know, they haven't really – when the calendar turned to 2020, they've actually had a pretty good record here. They've only lost two games. One yeah, of them – won eight, They've won eight straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the other good point about them, too, is they actually have some seasoned players this year. I mean, mostly right. sophomores, but Hagens and Quickly have both been there, and Nick Richards is a junior, so it's not their standard all-freshman crew. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. How about any other dark horse teams that you're eyeballing in terms of who could make a run in the tournament? One thing that I I definitely want to touch on is this idea that 
you know, and I don't know if, how much you guys have touched on this before. It's just that, you know, with the rule change this year, um, it kind of makes me question how much that's affecting, you know, what we're looking at. I, I use Ken Palm a lot. That's where I get, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I form a lot of my decisions about how teams play, about, you know, how they can be effective based on Ken Palm. And, you know, the offensive efficiency uh, and defensive efficiencies are, are king for a team. You know, that, that's how the teams are rated based on that. Some of the, the rules changes that occurred this year has really put some noise into this, the signal, I guess, because when you compare this year's efficiencies to last year's, you'll see across the board everything's down. So, uh, you, yeah. you know, those big rule changes would be the stepping back of the three-point line. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, resetting the clock to 20 seconds after a missed shot. So both of these things are things that would tend to drive down the uh, offensive efficiency and then, you know, thus the defensive efficiency. You know, obviously a three-point line that's further back, um, you know, you're going to – I know that it's it's meant to create spacing, but it also makes it harder to make three-pointers and it makes it harder to – you know, some of the drive and dishes and some of these things, it's harder for some of these plays to get run and, and things like that to get them out to the three-point line. Uh, and then also the 22nd, I mean, some of these teams, the way that they're efficient is by looking for, you know, working for really good shots. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though 20 seconds is still enough time to, to get a good look, it's still kind of off of a rebound, doesn't allow for uh, the amount of time to, to necessarily set up and get into a rhythm. Um, so, you know, these, and these are efficiency numbers. They're not a points per game. They're uh, points mm-hmm. per possession. So, you know, both of these things are making teams – less offensively efficient and less defensively efficient, uh, you know, or I guess more efficient defensively in that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the defensive numbers coming up and the offensive numbers are going down. And and what we're seeing is that the adjusted efficiencies are, are significantly less than they have been in years past. Um, when you mm-hmm. look at like uh, the very best adjusted efficiency this year, you know, it would probably be maybe the seventh or eighth best in the last couple of years. It just kind of makes me wonder you know, when I look at these numbers and I compare them to last year, if I use the same kind of thinking as, as previous years, you know, is that something that is a good thing to do? And one of the things that I've been trying to, to look at is, you know, maybe teams that have a higher effective uh, field goal percentage. So teams mm-hmm. that, you know, are scoring with higher percentages um, when you adjust for whether it's a two, three or, or a foul shot and teams that can score a lot with, uh, you know, two point basket because, um, you know, if you can if you can set a good base and then, you know, kind of uh, sprinkle in some three point shots. So. So anyway, that's kind of the, the lens that I'm looking through. There are a couple teams I did want to talk about. Um, the first one is not a dark horse. It's Kansas. Uh, but I, think I wanted to talk about with Kansas, um, you know, what I touched on last time about Duke last year and just saying that I was a little worried about Duke um, mm-hmm. with Kansas is they really look clean across the board. And so, you know, they've got the best defense. Um, they have long possessions, long defensive possessions. They have a very high effective field goal percentage. Um, they have a very low dependency on three-pointers. They've played in a lot of close games. They've got a lot of things going for them. They have two of the top five, if you look at Ken Palm's uh, player of the year. With They've got some really things going good for them. But, I, you know, I feel like their lynch is as a bookie. We have seen him healthy in the tournament. You know, this is mm-hmm. to be his fourth year. We haven't seen it. He's healthy right now, uh, but yeah. it, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> if anything were to happen to him, I would, I would be very, I'd fade them right away. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 
especially if you watch that Baylor game, how dominant he was. I mean, he was 11 of 13 from the field. He was getting alley-ooped. He was, you know, he looked incredible. He really did. Mm-hmm. So I would say definitely, if anything happens there, you know, don't get fooled by the, he got hurt. Oh, he's just kind of hurt. And he's going to, he's going to take <laughs> off the or the, the big 12 tournament. He'll be back. He'll be fine. Nope. I'm not, I'm not touching anything. If he's hurt another one, this, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but uh, <laughs> I think if you look at the last couple of years, Weird things get leaked in March, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we all know that they've already had a notice of allocations. Um, you know, Bill Self is on the hot seat. Uh, mm-hmm. No one's, you know, we don't, we're not talking about this very much now, but um, it's a real thing. And, you know, who knows if something comes out and, you know, kind of throws the whole program in disarray. You know, it happened to LSU last year. It happened to Arizona mm-hmm. you know, the year before. I'm just saying, watch out for those things. I'm not predicting it, uh, but I'm just <laughs> We've been talking about it all season. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the other big factor when I handicap Kansas comes down to the coaching. Bill Self just has not been very successful in March, and I'm not so sure that he can coach this team through six games, especially if Azabuke, for some reason, gets hindered or gets into foul trouble. Yeah, see, but the only thing I'll give him a pass is just saying that Azabuke factor because for the last three years he's had – you know, this dominant player that he hasn't been really able to have in March. So I, you know, I don't want to completely forgive everything that they've done, but I do think that it's a pretty big factor. And again, two years ago, they ran into Villanova mm-hmm. in the final four. Uh, and, you know, Villanova went insane in that game. I, I can't remember. They, they shot like 80% from the three point line. Yeah. They couldn't miss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay. Like who, no one was beating Villanova that night. And, you know, some mm-hmm. guys got, you know, first round draft picks because of that game when the guys I've never even heard of before, basically. So, right. Dante, I'm looking at you. But um, the other thing that I was going to say that I, again, scares me about them is the, and then it goes back to Azubuki. Everything is about him, but the bad free throw shooting, I mean, their free throw shooting mm-hmm. is terrible. Um, Azubuki right. himself, 45%, which is his career high, 45%. Not great. And, and if you look at their five close games that they've had this year, they don't have had, They've only had five close games, but the ones where they've lost, Duke and Villanova, they've shot lower than their already very low percentage, including Villanova, they shot 40%. Um, There are three other close games where Dayton, Baylor, and uh, Texas Tech, they shot 70% or better. So, you know, they're close games that they've won. They've they've actually shot well from the free throw line, and they're close games that they've lost. They lost the game. So, yeah, I think that's all I've got got from Kansas, but – yeah, not a dark horse, but just a, huh. talking points. And, you know, they're all around the big man in the middle. Uh, as Are there any other dark horses, though? Okay, I got a couple more. I'm going to talk about Dayton. They're not necessarily a dark horse, but I just want to make sure that people know that they're a real team. They're not somebody mm-hmm. that – it's not one of these teams that just pops up in March or was playing you know, very poor opponents the entire year, and then they're just going to, like, go out in the second game in, in the tournament. The only thing about this kind of team is that they often find some really weird scheduling, you know, like Wichita mm-hmm. State when they're undefeated playing against Kentucky in the second round, which was the third. Sure. Um, you know, again, I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorists, but their losses are, are really good losses. You know, one of them being Kansas, you know, playing in a neutral court, and uh, and and really they should have won that game. Yeah, you know, I know that you could say I would have, could have, should have, but an 11-0 run that was late in the game, and uh, Toppins wasn't even having it really didn't have a very good game. So their best player was not really performing, and they still took Kansas to overtime. And one thing, you know, they've got the highest 
percentage of in the entire country of their scoring that comes from two point shots. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got and that's not even close too. they're like a few percentage points over the second. So, I mean, they're really scoring. And again, that if their specialty is two point percentage, um, you would think that playing a game against Azabuki, you know, that, that that would be something that would be taking that away from them. And, and they were able to, to hang with Kansas, um, even though that, that that was there. And then again, again they're second in uh, effective field goal percentage. So another thing that, um, you know, that I'm looking for. Uh, mm-hmm. So Dayton's there. And then I'll give you one more. I kind of already talked to, so Auburn and Kentucky were both on my list for kind of mm-hmm. the fourth or, or final four teams. And then Florida State is another team that, you know, I've just been interested in. You know, I think they've got really good defense. Um, mm-hmm. I've been kind of following them against the spread. And, and, you know, I feel like they're always there. I feel like they're beating spread. They're always going on, on pretty big runs and you know, turning games that aren't close in, into close games win. You know, their, their defense is really, really strong. Um, you're, they're among the best in, in the nation in blocks and steals. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested in seeing how Florida State, you know, kind of closes the year. Want to make sure that they don't, you know, kind of stumble here. But, yeah, I'm pretty interested to see to see where they're going. Again, not a dark horse in, in that they're still, um, you know, ranked in the top ten. But I really feel like they've earned that position. Yeah. It always seems like these teams from Florida State are undervalued when they get to the tournament, mm-hmm. too. Year in and year out, they're making a dark horse mm-hmm. run that certainly I didn't expect, and I don't think odds makers do either. Right, right, and they're the tallest team in the nation too. When you look at average height, um, yeah. which is you know, always helpful. Uh, and- well, I like all your picks because I think almost all of them, except for Kansas, I have a future ticket on. So okay. uh, I like that. Kentucky, <laughs> Dayton, and uh, Florida State. So I like your action. That's that's good analysis there. I particularly like Florida State this weekend, too, um, with Ken Palm and a number of uh, two or three. You know, they're going to Clemson, and I think think they're just going to, you know, wipe the floor with them. I really don't see that as being a competitive game. But, again, they went to Clemson last year and, and wiped the floor with them. I don't see and, – and that was even a better Clemson team last year than, than this year. Well, what about the Big Ten? So what's your take on the Big Ten? You know, this is deemed the toughest conference in America this year. And I tend to agree typically, but there's not really a dominant team. I mean, Maryland was, and then they've kind of shown some warts this week. What do you think about the Big Ten this year? Yeah, so the Big Ten, it's interesting. I feel like, again, I'm kind of just looking back over the years, and I feel like often people say this whole best conference, and then they expect, well, all these teams are are battle-tested, and and since mm-hmm. they've been beating up on each other, then when you unleash them at the tournament, they're going to really do some damage. And I feel like it's usually more fiction than it is fact. Um, you'd see mm-hmm. that a lot back at the Big East, the old Big East, when they used to have, you know, a lot of the teams that were in the ACC or that are in the ACC now or uh, AAC. Um, you would see that same thing where then mm-hmm. you know, your Pittsburghs and your others would just kind of flame out. I don't want to call that same thing happening here in the Big Ten, but it does feel like I just don't know when I'm not expecting them to make really big noise in the NCAA tournament. I just, I don't see Mm -hmm. the problem is that they don't have a dominant team. Um, A bunch of, you know, pretty decent teams but also teams that computers like a lot and, you know, on the floor, I just don't feel like they look as fierce as computers tell me that they are. Mm-hmm. How, if you look on Penn Palm, I think that they've got the last four teams in the top ten. So you've got Michigan State, Maryland, mm-hmm. Michigan, and Ohio State. And among those, 
I don't know that I'm really afraid of many of those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of inconsistency with those teams. And even a team like Maryland, which is uh, at least record-wise the best team there, they had a lot of success early. And the story goes that, yeah, they had problems when they – and really they haven't that much problems when they've been in the Big Ten. They've had a lot of really close games. Um, you know, inside the, the Big Ten alone, they've had five games that were, you know, considered close games. And, yeah, I just don't – when you look at their profile, they don't really profile as a team that is really dominant in any one of their – any one of their kind of four factors that you would look at. They don't really – none of the teams really stick out as a team that you'd be really worried about because uh, they turn you over a lot or they have a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really high offensive rebounding percentage. I just – I feel like I don't see that. I – uh, another game that I was highlighting for this weekend is the Michigan State and Maryland uh, mm-hmm. game, and I feel like um, I would take Michigan State in that in that scenario. Who's going on the road to Maryland? I just feel more comfortable with the way that Michigan State wins. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, we've it's been a long time ago, but they were the number one team in the nation. Again, number one team in the nation to start the year for a reason. Um, really strong coach. Just feel like. You know, this is the time of year when you figure out if the teams are going to figure it out or not. And I, you know, I feel like more times than not, Michigan State's figuring it out going into uh, this time of year. Uh, and with the leap year, they get an extra day to figure it out before March. So. <laughs> yeah, well, they do have revenge on their mind. This is, ironically, another game that Weggs and I plan to talk about <laughs> later on. We will, it's a huge we will. game in the Big Ten, without a doubt. I love you. P.S. I love your take. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will nugget when I was t- trying to look back at this narrative about the the very best league in the country, you know, having good success in in March. And again, I only looked at the top, you know, the winners. But when would you think was the last time that the national championship winner came from the team that was the very best conference in the uh, nation? I mean, it, I'd imagine it'd be an ACC winner so probably either the duke over wisconsin or maybe north carolina over nova i don't know yeah and so those were both very recent so in the last like seven years you actually have to mm-hmm. go back the way you were good at the conference but you have to go back to 2005 north mm-hmm. carolina that's how long ago it was since the uh nation's best conference produced champion mm-hmm. in march yeah, I thought that was interesting. It was something I thought of, and I started looking, and I, I had to keep going further and further back, and I was about ready to give up, and then North Carolina. Huh. That they, is remarkable. Yeah, it is, it's kind of incredible, especially when you think of some of the teams and some of the really strong conferences, but still you know, not that the best conference in, in, in the nation. But your general takeaways that I'm getting from this is that you're definitely targeting teams that have really good two-point efficiency this year because of the – three-point line moving back and and also that shot clock issues so teams that can really score the ball without basically jacking long shots you know teams that can score either at the free throw line like you said with Kentucky and then obviously just efficient teams offensively yeah yeah that's what I'm looking for because um you know in years past the teams any team could get knocked off by these teams that were just jacking up lots of three-pointers and would have Mm -hmm. an offense that was just set up on jacking up three-pointers and I just feel like, you know, we're seeing that edge taken away. And, of course, we still see games where, where teams can score a lot of threes. But it just feels like kind of an equalizer 
that the uh, the Cinderellas are kind of getting knocked down a little bit mm. because of taking away that you know that thing that would kind of equalize them with, with some of the giants. So yeah, I'm looking for those teams that put the money in the bank efficiently mm. because again, when you look across some of the efficiency profiles for offense of years past, they would be heavy three point shooters. Now you know we're not seeing that as much, and, and maybe that's uh, due to the fact that there is more spacing. Uh, so that you know you're finding it as a, a more efficient way to score than to mm-hmm. spread it out. That's a great insight. So, or those teams, you know, it, it goes the same way on the defensive side. So if you're, you know, if you have a, a good effective field goal percentage defense, you know, it's one of the things that you're shutting down. You're making it you know, difficult for the other team to score. Mm-hmm. That's great. I feel like the free is more just about taking away that variability because you get down to Kansas and you start having to hack as a bookie. And then now mm-hmm. you have to take him out of the game, or you gotta hope that that's the day where he decides he wants to shoot really well from the line. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it does completely change the personnel uh, when when you have someone that's a liability like that, but they're also kind of the centerpiece of your offensive defense. Mm-hmm. It just makes me more afraid to think that they are going to be able to put together a run, you know, just as a, a red flag. They're a very strong team, mm-hmm. but it's just something to to fear i guess can't wait for this tournament it's going to be uh, a wild <laughs> ride i'm predicting i'm very excited i mean it's coming right up it can't come soon enough and yeah it should be it's always fun this hasn't been a bad tournament right there's only pretty much the yukon butler game was probably the only time where i uh, right. you know cried at the end of a tournament for uh <laughs> well and you'll be defending the player draft yeah. championship I was going to say that I remember the last time we talked, I was talking about how <laughs> torn up I was that I had never won that before. And then last year, <laughs> I went with the Texas Tech Super Stack. You no did. <laughs> you won the championship, buddy. I was in the stadium, you know, while I was at the uh, championship game. And oh, I yelled out the score difference every single time that someone on my team scored. I was yelling <laughs> what the score difference was because I was, you know, <laughs> be like, 12. <laughs> just yelling it out every single time and then when you know and then i went ahead and then you know they just kind of ran away with it for the players player yeah dtk wouldn't need to score like 32 points for me to, to keep me in it but uh it was a great ride really appreciate you coming on again that was really insightful the uh point you made about the adjusted offenses is fascinating i hadn't noticed that mm-hmm. myself something i need to dive into in the next couple of weeks it's really interesting too when you just take like First, fifth, tenth. When you get to about the twentieth, they're getting similar to the years before. But when you mm-hmm. look at the very top, you're seeing pretty significant differences. Mm-hmm. Well, Coley, you are the man. Well, we appreciate your time and being our favorite guest and getting on here. And um, good luck in your tournament picks. Not good luck yeah. in the uh, player pool, but <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, you know, now that I've tasted the victory, now I just know that. What it's like, I need to get my Jarrett Culver jersey. I don't have to. <laughs> All right. We'll have to reschedule another time here, maybe towards the end of the tournament. Get your take as we get down to the final home stretch here. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, let's cover our NCAA Hoops normal segment now. Uh, we've got last week's action. We had. Before we go into all the games, we I guess we covered all the big ones. Yeah, we did. Okay, no big deal. Ohio State was not a winner at Iowa. It looks like Iowa 
still can defend their home court. That was more your handicap, so I should have listened to you. They were two-and-a-half-point dogs in that game, the Buckeyes were, and they went down 85-76. Yeah, I caught a little bit of this one on Thursday night at the bar, and Luca Garza, the big guy, had another solid outing for the Hawkeyes and really kind of took it to Caleb Wesson at some points in that game. So uh, another Big Ten home team gets the cash, and that's certainly been a trend worth backing a lot this season. Exactly. I just wonder, come the tournament, can these teams win on a neutral court? Because it's all these teams are winning at home for the most part. But yeah, we'll see. no doubt. Uh, one of your favorites in the M East, Vermont, came through big. They beat Stony Brook. They were five-point favorites on the road. I believe you said this was a, a revenge spot. Is that right? That's and, right. Uh, Vermont won 63-54, and they are in control of their own destiny in the AM East at this point. Stony Brook did get them in the first game, but uh, this time around, Vermont got their sweet, sweet revenge, and that was behind a not really a big scoring night for many of their stars. Anthony Lamb and Steph Smith were actually both pretty held down on the offensive end, but it was a couple mm. of role players, Shungu and Everett Duncan, who carried them to the victory. Nice. Well, the Saturday slate was rich with games, some incredible games that day. Uh, we'll start off with the big one, Kansas at Baylor. Uh, you tried to talk me out of it. I did lose on Baylor. Baylor was a two-point favorite at home. I think I got it one and a half on Bet Um And Kansas, you know, true to their form, they have been rolling lately, and they really were dominating this game. Baylor had to kind of have a big late comeback and got within a point at one point, but you know, Kansas was able to win the game outright, 64-61. Azebuke was just a dominant force again in the middle. And obviously, Baylor can beat this team, I think, if they have Demacio Teague's not maybe 100% at this time. But at the same mm-hmm. time, Kansas really is playing this four-out, one-in with Azebuke instead of the two bigs, and it's really working for them. And they look like the best team in the country at this point. Yeah, Kansas, I didn't actually get to watch it. I was snow skiing at the time. It was a little bit earlier mm-hmm. than lunch for me. But uh, yeah. I checked the box score later, and Azabuki was just a beast in this game. 23 yeah. points and 19 rebounds. So <laughs> one hell of a performance and really carried them to the victory. I heard uh, a little bit of analysis this week on him. I understand that since last season, he's dropped like 30 or 40 pounds. Wow. So he is just able to get up and down the floor and play a full game whereas in the past he struggled with injuries and, and obviously the weight a little bit so now he's a lean mean fighting machine he just dunks so he's i think i heard some crazy stat he's shooting over 65 percent on the season uh you know obviously he's dunking the ball almost exclusively so mm-hmm. he's the man yeah i mean if he can stay out of foul trouble they're definitely going to be hard to beat in march but i think that's yeah. the one weakness on this team if Doak goes to the bench they're a completely different ball club they are. I mean, Dotson's a really good guard, too, but yeah, they do need to keep him on the floor. It's their X factor. Uh, the next game you highlighted was uh, Villanova at Xavier. The total for the game was 135. The halftime total was 61. You had under, and that was easy. That Nova was up 30 to 21, really holding down the, the Musketeers and won the game outright 64-55. Yeah, Villanova has really been under team all season long, and it proved true again in this game where their defense really carried the day. They held the Xavier scores down quite a bit, and really only three players got into double figures for Xavier. So a big win for Villanova, and they're trending in the right direction heading to the tournament. They are. They'll have a big matchup with Seton Hall this week that we'll talk about later. 
Uh, one of the let's skip this next one. We'll go to the next one that was a really big game: Oregon at Arizona in the Pac-12. Arizona was a five-point favorite at home. I think that was the line I got and lost uh, on Saturday. And Oregon ended up winning the game, but it took overtime uh, to win 73-72. But Arizona, I mean, they were up by like six points with I don't know two minutes to go. <laughs> Couldn't hit free throws. They were 10 of 21 in the game. So in regulation, they missed a. I think it was a fundamental one-on-one to actually kind of win the game in regulation. Went to overtime. In overtime, they had a chance to. They wouldn't have covered the number, but. They went to the line down 73-72 with two foul shots, and they missed both and lost the game. So wow. give it to Peyton Pritchard and the gang uh, for getting the big win in Tucson. But Arizona, boy, that's just one that they just dropped outright. Yeah, I'll say. How about 38 points for Peyton Pritchard? Six yeah. out of 14 for three-pointers and perfect eight for eight from the free throw line. That was likely the difference in that game. And you're right, Arizona, looking at the box score here, 10 of 21 from the free throw line. Ouch. <laughs> you can't do that. You cannot do that. Uh, so that was game one of the nightcap, and the other game was just excellent. It was the Zags at BYU. Uh, we talked about it last week, and I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Uh, the Zags were four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at BYU, and that's the number I got, actually. And BYU really dominated this game. They were up big at halftime. Their big guy, uh, Yoli Childs. Yep. Um, is that right? You got He's it. He's really good. He is really pure post-up player, and they had no answer inside for him, even though the Zags have length. But they ended up, uh, you know, the Zags pulled within maybe six points, five points midway through the second half, and then down the stretch they just dominated and won 91-78. BYU is a team on the rise in Ken Palm, but also I like this team in the tournament quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I watched a good part of this game while we were playing cards on Saturday, and really, they didn't shoot quite as well from the three-point line as you would have expected to pull off that upset, mm -hmm. only about 40%, 11 out of 27, but when you look on the other side, Gonzaga did not have their regular three-point shooting performance, 5 out of right. 25 from behind the arc, so ultimately, that was the main difference in this one, but it does look like BYU is going to be primed for an at-large bid in the tournament. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that a lot of big-name teams are going to be scared to face off against them. That's for certain. Absolutely. Yeah, if they get kind of underseated, that's going to be a team I'm going to be definitely on a bet on or a money line situation. Um, but going into the tournament, I mean, they really should be a lower, like a 4-5 seed, but they might, you know, who knows? You know, we'll see how it goes. West Coast teams kind of get underrated in the tournament quite often. Mm -hmm. um, earlier uh, this week, Monday, uh, Louisville went to Florida State. This was a very interesting game, actually. If you saw it, this was Monday. Uh, Florida State was a two-point favorite at home, but Louisville was dominating them. <laughs> they were killing them. And then Florida State, the second half, went on this incredible run. I think it was a 19-0 run or something crazy. And they finished the game winning, going away, 82-67. to I'm not sure if this is an indictment on Louisville or just basically to show you how good Florida State is, who's now on top of the ACC and one of my teams that, I, as we talked about before, I've got them in a future situation for the championship. Really like this team going into the tournament as well. They looked good on Monday night. I just saw the last couple of minutes in the second half, and I couldn't believe they made a comeback after seeing that halftime mm -hmm. score, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. But uh, definitely a good win for Florida State, and they look like a team that's ready for March. 
That's right. I'm not sure what's going on with Louisville. I mean, they have a really good team, and obviously they put a good half there, but there's something going on. I don't know if it's chemistry or what, but they haven't been the same team uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess we didn't even mention that you know last week Duke lost. They lost again this week. That team's on the slide. They're not on our, our list of bets, but we could talk about that. Actually, I didn't even put them on the list, but we could, I guess. Virginia's playing Duke this weekend. Uh-huh. Um, one of your spots, Memphis at SMU. SMU was a three-point favorite at home. Kind of picking on Memphis here. They've kind of hit the skids after that early season, preseason love and losing Wiseman. And you called it SMU won, and they won by five, 58-53. Very low-scoring game. Yeah, I'll say. The Memphis players are actually uh, catching a lot of good pub, especially the freshman, Precious Achua. But they mm-hmm. definitely did not show up in this game on Tuesday night. And um, SMU is a team that's playing good ball. Uh, eight, 19 and 8 now, 9 and 6, and they're squarely on the bubble, could possibly mm-hmm. sneak into the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I think Memphis is on the way out, but uh, mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, the AAC is a really good conference, actually. They're really strong. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out uh, between all those teams. Uh, the next one was Kansas State at Baylor. Baylor, this was an interesting game because the total was 124, which makes sense. Baylor's a really good defensive team. Kansas State's traditionally a good defensive team. Oh, no. Baylor took out all their frustration from Saturday. <laughs> K-State won 85-66, crushing that total. Yeah. Um, I watched a little bit of this game, and it was over <laughs> well in the first half. Baylor just couldn't miss uh, from three yep. or inside or outside or really anywhere they just completely dominated kansas state on tuesday and that one was a loser from the get-go mm-hmm. it's too bad well i didn't have the stones to do it action no after we didn't even mention this i forgot sorry action i missed it but san diego state that was another huge game saturday night mm-hmm. san diego state drops the game against unlv which was shocking at home nonetheless i don't know if you heard this story that san diego state has already clinched the mountain west uh you know title regular season title so they actually raised the banner saturday night oh, when unlv wow. came to town i didn't know so that. maybe a bad decision not sure because they came out and put up a just a stinker and they lost to unlv who's i guess they're playing better now but that's just unacceptable and you know now obviously we're 26 and 0 and they're 26 and 1 so unfortunately i didn't have the stones to bet Colorado state on tuesday because i figured this would be the letdown game. In reality, I was wrong. They had a letdown again. Colorado State was winning at halftime. Much like we just talked about last week, San Diego State has been coming out slowly. And then they stayed within the number. Our number was 15. The actual number was 13, the closing mm-hmm. line. And they lost the game only by 6, 66-60. It was a pretty good game. And Colorado State's decent, but the Aztecs aren't playing the same level at this point, maybe having a little season fatigue or something. Yeah, I think you're right. It's- even after the loss Saturday night, didn't really appear like they were ready to go uh, in the bounce back spot here Tuesday. I actually did jump in on Colorado State in the first half nice. and okay. uh, Good. made a little cash in that one. So, And I'm looking to fade them again, to be honest. We can talk about that in the next segment, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like they had, before going into Saturday, and I think they had like a five-game lead or something crazy. So mm-hmm. they don't have any incentive to win, I guess, because they're going to be the number one seed. But at the same time, you never want to be going in cold into the tournament. Okay, well, let's transition to the action power ratings. There's probably been a little bit of a shakeup. I don't see eh, – I guess there's some movement. I can see some movement on there. So what do we got this week? 
Yeah, clearly the number one team now, Kansas Jayhawks, um, head and shoulders above the rest of the nation, I think. Uh, even though you do see Gonzaga sliding in there, not too far behind in the ratings, but if I were to match them up on a neutral, I think that Kansas would probably be a pretty heavy favorite in that game. Heavier than one, right. at least. Mm-hmm. Um, three is Baylor, and four is Duke. Seems like they're a little bit overrated here in that power rating index. And then okay. behind them, we've got San Diego State, West Virginia, another team that I don't think really belongs in that stature. And mm-hmm. then um, the lone Big Ten team now, Michigan State, in the top ten at number mm. seven. Yep. Followed by Dayton, Arizona, and Houston, the new team into the top ten. Interesting. Any thoughts there, Wegs? Well, one of the other things I did forget about the recap of the week is the Terps lost as well, right? They lost at Ohio State, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. So so that's probably why you're not seeing them. And they actually almost got beat again this week um, during the week here. So I can see why they dropped out of the top ten. They were one of those Big Ten teams in. I'm a little surprised at Houston. Uh, Houston, you know, in Ken Palm, I guess I pulled this earlier in the week, they're 18, so they must have really good rebounding numbers. That's usually what is a differential for you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I can see that. They're 2.6. That's plus 2.6 rebounding advantage. Is that what that yeah. works? Yeah. Points per game, yeah. So that's basically that's that they're actually number one on this list. So that's a huge differential. Um, I mean, they're a good squad. I, I don't, I think they're not. I'm just surprised seeing them in the top ten. That's all. You know, a team like Creighton is surprising. They're not in the top ten. They're they're cracking in the Ken Palm. You know, they're getting way up there too. I guess they probably don't rebound. Um, Correct. But overall, I mean, these these teams. I mean, Arizona's nine, even though Oregon and even Arizona State is playing better than this team right now. So it's a little surprising, but I think what I kind of take from this is we've pretty much seen the top five be the same for a long time. I don't really believe in Duke right now, but the other teams I do. So, I mean, the metrics are solid. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like we've talked about, this season is going to be wide open. So I think you could see any of these teams or any of the next 10, presumably, cut down the nets in um, April. Exactly. Well, let's go into our spots. We don't have any Friday night action unless you have it down the way. Do you have Friday night action? No, no Friday night. Oh. I tried real hard, but I couldn't pick one out. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know he loves the Friday night action. He can't. Let, I'm sure he will be on something on Friday. Yeah, that's story. true. <laughs> but Saturday we have a, a nice slate of games. Again, I'm looking at revenge spots. This is going to be revenge week action. That's the way I'm labeling it. First one is Auburn at Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky lost at Auburn last time, kind of handily. And you're slating it as a six-point favorite for Kentucky on Saturday. I really like Kentucky right now. They have been rolling. Eight straight wins since that Auburn loss. I wouldn't get in front of this team at this point. Now, six may be a big number, but Auburn, they're kind of hitting that swoon too. They're kind of coming back to the metrics, like the metrics are actually – They informed us they weren't that great, and it's showing. I mean, they're really low in Ken Palm, like 38th now. So I'm all over Kentucky in this one. Yeah, I think this is a good call. Kentucky is really hitting their stride now, covered six out of their last seven. And on Mm -hmm. the flip side, you've got an Auburn team that I think is really seeing their true form show up lately. Although they did uh, win and have a nice couple of wins, actually, over Tennessee and Mississippi in their last two games. But Mm -hmm. I think this spot really does just scream Kentucky and this one, and I think that you're making a good call there. Thanks. 
Uh, next is the Big Ten matchup. Is this the classic? Oh, this is an over. Well, of course, they're at Iowa. So it's Penn State <laughs> at Iowa. I was going to say, is this the classic uh, first half under from action? Oh, no. It's actually an over. It's Penn State at Iowa. Um, this is a Saturday game as well. Mm-hmm. And the total is 152, so it's not a low total. Uh, walk us through this handicap. Well, I mean, I think we've talked about how poorly Iowa is on the defensive end. And uh, you look at this Penn State team, and they're actually pretty quick in pace as well. Mm-hmm. I think um, in the 70s or so in pace, and they have a very good offense. And uh, mm-hmm. Penn State also shoots the three-pointer quite a bit. So I think I was looking at these two teams in their first meeting. They totaled 175 points between them in that meeting at the Palestra. And I expect a similar game this time around, and I think this one's going to fly over the total, even with the early tip. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's some uh, – Lamar Stevens is the guy who can score it for Penn State. He's really good, and obviously Garza. So those guys can really put the ball in the hole. It was interesting, though. Michigan State, uh, who beat Iowa earlier this week, I don't know if Penn State can match this, but they had a very unique strategy. <laughs> just just crush Garza in there, hit him mm-hmm. as much as possible until they – Stop calling fouls, so I'm not saying that'll stop him in this game, but it may be a strategy the other teams try to employ uh, when they play Iowa. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure Penn State has the bigs to pull off that one, though. Yeah, agreed. Another big game that we're looking at is, or I'm looking at anyway, is Michigan State at Maryland. Now, Sparty is up and down, and it's definitely as Cassius Winston goes, but Maryland has been kind of hitting the skids again, and like these teams that rolled for a while are finally coming back to earth. We're showing Michigan State's going to be a three-point dog on the road. I don't love Sparty this year in general, but I think this revenge spot makes sense to me. Maryland has been playing not as well, and Sparty's been playing better. Plus, they got a little bit more action from you know a third player on Michigan State, and that was the essential part of you know winning in that game against Iowa. So I kind of like him here, and I think that's where I put my money. Okay. This is one where I'm probably going to be going against you. I like Maryland mm-hmm. here coming back in the home spot. You're right, though. Last couple of games, they have been under-impressive and barely miracle victory last night at Minnesota oh, yeah. with a three at Super. the buzzer by Marcel. So they're looking to sew up the Big Ten Championship, though. Remember, they now have a two-game lead on the pack, and I think if they get this one at home against Michigan State, that all but locks up the number one seed in the tournament and the regular season mm-hmm. title. So I like Maryland in this game, and I'm not really sold on Michigan State. I think right. that uh, Cassius is really their only go-to player right now, and uh, if Maryland can shut him down, I think that Michigan State's really going to struggle. You're probably right, so we'll see. It's just kind of a an inkling more than a – although metrically they're basically even. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting how – Bad Michigan State was playing. Their metrics really didn't wane that much. They're sitting right there. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Here's the one you talked about before. San Diego State is playing at Nevada. You mentioned that this would be their toughest game left on the schedule. Nevada is looking like a six-point dog in this one. It looks like you also like the first half angle, which we've talked about before with San Diego State. Why don't you tell us about this one? Yeah, I mean, a little bit harder to predict exactly what that first half spread is going to be, but I figure it'll be three, three and a half. And Mm -hmm. this is a spot that I've circled for probably two weeks now, and I didn't really expect Mm -hmm. San Diego State to drop that game at home last weekend. But I still think that Nevada is the play here. Steve Alford, the first-year head coach in Nevada, has really got them playing some good ball. They're Mm 7-3 and against the spread in their last 10 games. 
And Jalen Harris has been the scoring machine for them, averaging 22 a game. So I think that he'll be able to get his shot. Uh, Jazz Johnson's still out there as well. And I like Nevada at least to cover this number on Saturday, potentially even win the game outright. And they've won six straight, and they've beaten the aforementioned UNLV. They've, and they've beaten some other lesser opponents. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see the motivation for San Diego State again. I mean, maybe they just – they're out there <laughs> just going through the motions and, and the Wolfpack. I don't think they could make the tournament without winning at this point, like mm-hmm. winning um, the tournament. But then again, I mean, you never know. These teams can get hot at the right time. and But they've been playing some good basketball for sure. Okay, we'll jump ahead a little bit. We were going to do Michigan at Ohio State. Um, when is this game? Did I didn't write this down. Saturday, I think. Oh, still Saturday? Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, so this is another Big Ten matchup. You know, Ohio State's been playing really good. Michigan was playing really good until tonight. Um, did you see the score? <laughs> yeah, they're coming back, though. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Um, but they started off like crap in this game. Um, with Livers back in the fold, Michigan's been playing way better, and, and we're listing this as Michigan getting three and a half, and that's where you would go in this one, huh, actually? Yeah, and um, actually, I think I should step back. I misspoke. This game is on Sunday, March 1st, oh, okay. so yeah. that's my bad. Yeah. But um, okay. I am looking at playing Michigan in this one. They have really been turning it up lately. Livers is back in the lineup, and... They've also got some revenge in this game after Ohio State mm-hmm. came into Ann Arbor and beat them in the first meeting. And when you look, at, I've been using a new site, Wags. It's uh, called mm. BartTorvik.com. And okay. I believe a lot of his metrics are very similar to Ken Palm, except the one tool that I like is you can actually filter based on the schedule. So oh, I was okay. curious to see how Michigan's been playing recently with Livers back in. So I went through and sure. filtered out from games only starting on February 1st, and mm-hmm. they are really, really playing some good ball. They're up to oh, yeah. 17th in offense, uh, scoring 113 points per 100 possessions, and 4th in defense, only allowing their opponents to score 88 per 100 possessions. So that is pretty serious margin when you look at it on both sides. And I like Michigan in this game, and I like them a lot going forward in the uh, month of March as well. Well, unlike the action power ratings... Uh, if I pull up Ken Palm right now, you've got Michigan State at 7, Maryland at 8, Michigan at 9, wow. and Ohio State at 10. So these are teams that are really closely matched. To your point, uh, Michigan is – they've been soaring in the index since Livers has come back. So mm-hmm. it's a good spot. I just – it's a tough one for me because, you know, the Big Ten angle of being a home team is really hard because they're really good. And Ohio State's no slouch. They're playing good ball too. So – I'm more excited just to watch the game. I think it's going to be a great game, and it, everybody might look at it. It's not a football matchup, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but uh, this is, you know, this tournament, this Big Ten tournament, is going to be a knockdown dragout, and it's kind of like a pre-tournament matchup. I think you'll see these teams face off again. Yeah, likely. Okay, well, we're on the revenge angle. I am on Villanova against Seton Hall. They're going to play on Wednesday, March 4th. And we're listing Villanova as a four-point dog on the road at Seton Hall. Now, I know Seton Hall plays good defense, according to Ken Paul. However, it doesn't seem like they're playing as good in the last few games. And at least in my when I did this write-up, they're 2-2 two and two in their last four, whereas Nova's been 4-0, and, oh and they're just 
playing really well. So I like them in this matchup. I do think Seton Hall does still have the best player on the floor and probably the better D, but something's going on again with Seton Hall. They're not playing quite as integrated as they were for that stretch when they were getting really hot, and Villanova is really rounding into good tournament form at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, this is definitely a good spot for the Wildcats, and I'm looking at my numbers here. I have them pretty much dead even, so mm-hmm. just a matter of how you look at the home court for the Pirates. And I also have heard in the media that um, the that the it? guard from Turton, Miles Powell, Miles Powell, mm-hmm. he's nursing a little bit of a soft tissue injury, so mm-hmm. um, that's certainly yeah. something that could slow him down. And if you're betting on Seton Hall, you definitely want him to be at 100. percent So, mm-hmm. although I'm probably going to be passing on this one, I can definitely see your angle with Villanova. Hey, it's Revenge Week. That's the way I'm looking at it, buddy. Revenge yeah. Week across the board. <laughs> Yeah, the last one we're going to go revenge, and you can talk me out of it, Action, is Dayton is playing at Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island's one of those bubble teams that got housed last time when they played Dayton, uh, and they actually barely won last night, to be honest with you, but um, Rhode Island would be getting four points at home, which I like, and as good as Dayton's been, they haven't been playing at the same clip. They've had some lower scoring games. They've been keeping it closer. Now, granted, four points isn't a big margin, but... I might stick with the Rams in this one. Talk me out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good spot. You're looking at a Dayton team who has a three-game lead in the conference. So, you know, like we talked about earlier with San Diego State, maybe putting it on cruise control a little bit and don't really see this last game of the conference season as something that they really need to focus on. So I think that um, you could be doing worse with Rhode Island. They're second place in the conference in the A-10, mm-hmm. and uh, they've got Fats. So uh, mm-hmm. you can put your He's money good. behind him. <laughs> put my money on Fats. And like I said last time, I was you know recounting this because I watched every second of this game last time. You know, when Fats went out of the game at a kind of a critical juncture, that's when the game got out of hand. Now, granted, mm-hmm. that was a 11 or 12 point. They were laying 11 or 12 points. This one would be only four. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd be surprised if I saw four. I know Kent, they do use the Ken Palm number a lot, but oftentimes, you know, with Dayton, they might be a darling and somebody might bet them up. So hopefully they'll get a better number than four. Yeah, that's true. I mean, odds makers are certainly going to likely shade this one on the side of Dayton because they know where the money's mm-hmm. going to be coming. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, that wraps up all of our – there are a lot of takes for this week, so hopefully we'll do pretty well. We've been doing fairly well so far this season. You know, as we go forward, we've got a couple more weeks before – you know, Selection Sunday is only two weeks away, really, Yeah. Uh, two weeks from Saturday – and then the tournament starts. Uh, we'll obviously have our normal, you know, our normal spots. We'll figure out when we're going to do our tournament preview because we're both traveling that week. But um, you know, we'll figure it out. I mean, I'm pretty excited about the March Madness. And are you making it down to the Big Ten tournament this time? You know, I haven't made solidified plans yet. I certainly would like to get down there if I can, but a little worried that both of my teams are going to be out before the weekend rolls around. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Those guys are playing tonight, isn't it? Isn't yeah, Purdue? yeah. Purdue live update here for those of you who are listening later this week. Purdue is up by 14 <laughs> with 13 minutes left Ooh. in the second half. Yeah. And they are bedeviling, man. That team is metrically incredible, but they, their record sucks. It's just really weird. But Yeah. Another revenge revenge spot for the Hoosiers not really playing out like I had <laughs> hoped here early on. I know. I know. They get the big win against Penn State, and they kind of – it's the Big Ten. 
It's hard yeah. to win. Um, okay, we'll we'll definitely be on normal schedule next week. Uh, so check us out next week for the last kind of week of the regular season, going into the conference tournaments, so you can be ready um, the pre-tournament action, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. Follow us at Sign Action Pod on Twitter. Follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. All right. Good luck, everybody. Peace out, America. That's a wrap for this episode of the Side Action Podcast. We appreciate all of your listens, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you all again next week on Thursday for some more hot picks and side action. Owners and associates take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the show hosts or their guests. Statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of this podcast, and opinions between talk show hosts may conflict. Individuals following the advice given on the podcast accept their own risk of losses from wagers made, as the Side Action Podcast, its owners, hosts, associates, or guests will not guarantee any advice given. The opinions and advice given on the Side Action Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Intro and outro and transition music credits. Song titles, Jerry 5 and District 4 by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.org. License under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. CreativeCommons.org backslash licenses backslash by 3.0.